I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You can act like a man! Right, lads, time to man up. Yeah. Come on. Take your boys to a little corner and teach them how to cry all I don't day. Think that's what What is masculinity? Welcome back to the Anti-Mask Podcast, where we make compassionate critiques of masculinities in the 21st century. I'm here with Alistair Ingalls, as always, and we're actually just carrying on recording a second part on chivalry. So if you want to listen to us natter about things not to do with uh, gender and structural oppression then go and listen to another episode because <laughs> uh, we're halfway through a long journey on the chivalric code here. But um, I think we want to start off with Alistair saying a bit more about what you think are the the positives of a bit of chivalry in certain contexts. Aye. Yeah, where we kind of left it in the last one or something we mentioned in the last episode was... Um, so the, the negatives, the reason it's a, the reason it's contentious, right? And it's this idea of benevolent sexism, um, and it's an everyday act where you're objectifying women, you're you're just marking them out as different from men, and it it's the thin end of the wedge in a sort of um, a structure of oppression, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that that's that's why that's why folk aren't into it. But I mean, the what I would question is like, so to me, that argument is, it sounds a little bit like a slippery slope argument. Do you know what I mean? Um, like, oh, well, if you do that, then that leads to this and then that leads to this and then da 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 da. And I'm not. Sorry, a slippery slope towards something more violent, you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, got you. Yes, yeah, exactly. So. As soon as you start with chivalry, then you will slide down this slippery slope to descend towards, yeah, like, for example, domestic violence. Got you. Okay. Um, but that's not, that's obviously not true in all cases, right? Yeah. So, um, so there must be some contexts where it's, it's not so bad. Um, and I think that I think that just by the fact that so many people are still into chivalry or this have a have a positive view of it, there must there must be something that's good about it. Otherwise it wouldn't have it wouldn't have lasted. Um and I was, I was someone, I can't remember who it was. Someone pointed out like a really interesting example of like modern, sort of modern day chivalry. Um, and it's kind of relevant to one of the uh, the previous episodes we did, I think on, um, on male, male violence towards women about like, it was in the wake of the Sarah Everard case and, um, there was lots of sort of there was the vigil and and lots of sort of raising awareness about about 
violence. Yeah, about that, but also like making how how what men can do to make women feel safer. So in a Got sort you. of active way, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, sure. And um, one of those things was just don't get just don't get too close to women out mm-hmm. that are walking out late at night, you know, mm. and that is a ty- that's a gendered act and that's a time where you um are recognizing of the fact that you might be stronger even if you're not i suppose it doesn't really matter because yeah you, perceived as a threat exactly yeah and you're being aware of that and you're like acting in a way to to cut to like correct for that sort of thing Got you. so is that is that sort of a chivalric act, like, like, like taking that, being aware of that, and like, and taking a step back, sort of thing? I thought that no. was, a, I thought that was an interesting one to me, but, <laughs> but no. you don't seem convinced. So, why not? I think because I think. So my my like ultimate argument about all of this is that there are a lot of things that are considered to be chivalric that in I think a lot of people talk about chivalry without any without enough context if that makes sense and that actually if you consider context more in a considerable number of contexts they are actually just closer to acts of kindness and are about as unproblematic as you can get okay yeah yeah and I think that's one of them I also think that an act of chivalry is always, I would say, something where, like, praise or appreciation is almost demanded. Aye, there's a bit of a performance. There's a performative aspect to it, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. So if you're actually distancing yourself from a woman in public for her own safety... You're never going to get thanks for that, but it's still the right thing to do. I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think, I, th- I think even when we talk about self-denial, you st- like it's not, it's not purely selfless. Yeah. I think like it's, it's, it's framed as that, but for some kind of gratification or, or transaction. Yeah. I see that. I see that now. Yeah. Um, so that's a good point so that's why i think like some of the things that are done it's not about i think like chivalry should be a dirty word but some of the things that we consider to fall (laughs) under chivalry should not be bad things if that makes sense yeah yeah i like the idea of chivalry is a dirty word (laughs) <laughs> oh, you're so shameless. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you're so chivalrous. Oh. I don't say it. It makes my head screech with pain. Oh. Aye. Well, okay. I th- yeah. I'm inter- yeah. I'm quite, I'm a bit struck by that notion of chivalry as being a performance. Um, or there's definitely that aspect to it. Um, because, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, I think, I think there is a bit of a, when you do, when you do that self-denying act, or you do that, um, aye, 
when when you, when you when you you have that stoicism i feel like sometimes there is a little thing in your head where you sort of just imagine yourself as like like fully in armor sort of thing you imagine yourself as this noble this great nobleman yeah um, so exactly. i can see that there's Whereas is... if you just disappear into the night for the benefit of someone else um you do not become a knight Mm. Mm. You become Batman. You become Batman. Yeah. Uh, picking off all the baddies. Yeah. Cool. That's uh, that's an interesting place to start. I feel like we uh, did a really slightly shit cliffhanger there and then like kind of hit the nail on the head by accident at the start of the next yeah. episode. <laughs> shit cliffhangers. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Hanging off a cliff of shit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's cute. What uh what have you been listening to then? Um I read I what well, I read, didn't read. Go read on. with read with my ears. Um I listened to uh, There's some lovely bird song in the background, Steph. Do you know what is it a blackbird? I've no idea. I don't oh. know enough about birds. Yeah. That was um, that was almost like a massive flex by me to try and like identify the bird through <laughs> Zoom. Um, Don't say the word chivalry, but play bird song to me whenever you like. Yeah. Um, I I was I listened to um uh something called the Moral Maze, which is like a BBC Four a Radio Four program. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there was one on. Did an episode on on the morality of of masculinity um okay and it touched on it touched on chivalry a wee bit um there was something in that episode that so melanie phillips is on the panel i don't know um how, how much you know about melanie phillips but i think she's pretty conservative right mm-hmm. um and i have this thing that there's something like irresistible irresistible about her like i Whenever she says stuff, I'm always, I always get hit up. I feel like a tightness. I'm like, oh. I, I know like there's something about me that massively just disagrees with what she's saying, and I get annoyed because I can't put my finger on it. And she's really good at talking. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's it's all, and I, I like I always have to like, kind of want to listen again to what she's talking, mm. what she's saying, so I can. It's almost like when um you know when something smells bad, um, yeah. And you have it take a whiff of it, you're like, oft. But then you want to go back and smell it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. exactly how that's, it feels. That's, that's like me when I'm in like a, a really piss-stenched uh, old pub toilet. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, like it, it, it disgusts me and but fills my nostrils with curiosity at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something about, there's something you want to go back and be like, what is that that... What is that that I dislike so much? Yeah. Um, and um, she she said something in this uh, where like I don't even I'll just say it. I don't I don't really agree with it, but I'll just say it because she said it. Yeah. She said it. She was she, she said that that men feel very differently from women in their sexual identity because because a woman's biology constantly reminds them of what they are. Um, and that men feel sort of vulnerable and have to define themselves 
in a way that women don't. And so to that extent, masculinity is like largely constructed in opposition to women because for a man, like there's nothing more terrifying than, than, than being a woman. So they have to construct this thing in opposition to it. Um, so it's constructed and like, and like okay. acting chivalrically is sort of part of that. Um, so that sounds like she is taking like a very sort of like biological approach to, you know, conflating sex and gender. I, I think so. I, yeah. To, to a large extent. And I could critique that all day, but I'm just going to say that's what I think she's doing. But like, let's just kind of like go down her line of thinking on that point anyway, just to pick apart more the argument that she wants to make. I feel like within that, say she's just like conflating sex and gender and saying like, oh, well, if you've got, you know, a penis, then you're a man and yeah, you've got uh, a vulva, womb, whatever, you're a woman. That, it's, so it sounds like half the argument of sex being natural, because it sounds like she's saying that masculinity is a social construct, but that femininity isn't. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. she's like taking, making the assumption that like you have to have a female reproductive system to be a woman. Yeah. I... So I would say, so I would say from her point of view, therefore you have to have a penis to be a man. But she doesn't explicitly say that. But that you only have anxieties about your gender if you are a man because there's no, like, natural rooting in it. Aye. Aye. It's pretty flimsy, I think. It's pretty thin. Yeah. Um, I don't think it adds up. I think also, and it's something I'm going to get onto a bit, in a minute is that a lot of more like centrist conservative right-wing thinkers in this day and age really like are good at getting under the skin of more progressive identity politics and kind of talking their language, but then distorting it to their own benefit. Mm. So because, you know, like everyone on the left and, and people who are vocal about gender fluidity and, and trans rights and identities and all the rest of it are saying gender is a social construct. But she's kind of like using half that argument to then justify why men maybe act in a certain patriarchal way, but kind of like leaving women out of the picture in terms of how they view their own gender. Yeah, she's sort of just on half, really. And what I was going to say was actually her argument about men not to do with reproductive systems or whatever is is true. I would agree with that. I would say like masculinity is this constructed gender identity, which makes it, which means you can pick it apart and it's, it's flimsy and it's fluid, 
and it's easy to stray away from it because it's not a real thing. Therefore, there's no perfect way to do masculinity. So people do need codes like the chivalric code or, or whatever to, to, to cling on to this thing that they think is real yeah. or think is key to their existence. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like a house of cards. Um, yeah, exactly, yeah. And and one of the, yeah, and, and so you, you need these sort of found, yeah, exactly. And one of the cards is your chivalric code card, your card-carrying yeah. member of the chivalric brotherhood. Um, yeah. And that's what helps you. That's what helps define define your gender identity, I suppose. But I would just say bring the whole house of cards down. Yeah. But Melanie Phillips isn't going to say that. Nah. Why don't we talk about a wee bit about about what you've been up to, what you've been reading? So, uh, <laughs> in the words of uh, someone quite close to me, I've really taken one for the team this week or two. Because I've read not an entire book cover to cover, I'll admit that. So, again, some of these answers are going to be not with the most expertise, but a considerable amount of 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. Okay. Um, Not to say he's necessarily someone shouting about the word chivalry in and of itself the most, But he's definitely, he's probably like the biggest public intellectual of the day right now, or was, you know, maybe a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And he kind of like blew out of nowhere. Like he was just a therapist and an academic in in psychology. Mm -hmm. And at first impressions, I feel like he just wrote a book that he knew would sell. I feel like he's a very clever person in the sense that like he's good at like twisting rhetoric like I was just saying about Melanie Phillips and and a lot of people who who play with a lot of the language that people on the left use in identity politics because it it, it defines our age whether you agree with it or not if you see what I mean mm-hmm because they still use the same language on the right, therefore it covers like a whole political spectrum. Mm-hmm. And that Jordan Peterson is very good at, because he's a trained like clinical therapist, very good at saying pretty sound, relatable stuff about mental health issues, such as like PTSD and anxiety and depression and all the rest of it, and giving very matter of fact explanations about how people turn out the way they do and and suffer from whatever mental health problems they might suffer from. Mm. But, and and so I actually like took some leaves out of his book when I started reading it. Um, He kind of said, oh, one thing I say to all my patients is that you have to get a regular sleep pattern and bring an element of routine in your life. And I've maybe been feeling a little more anxious than I would want to lately, having gone through quite a good phase. So last week I got up at half seven every day and did an hour of writing before work for half eight. And I felt really great. And he also says it doesn't actually matter what time you go to bed. You're obviously going to be sleep deprived if you go to bed later. But that regularity is within reason more important than getting like a full eight hours of sleep. 
Mm. And I would agree because I think I only probably slept seven hours, like four out of five of the nights. Um, and I'm probably going to get up at half seven tomorrow when we start a new working week. But the thing is, that's not really like his opinion. That's just, that's kind of backed by science now. And it's something any sound therapist should tell a a client, basically. Yeah. But it's interesting how he factors all that into very sweeping, and I would say false generalizations about human society, but yeah. in a way that sounds very authoritative. Mm-hmm. And for someone who's not particularly critically minded, I could see how he would completely sway them. So he starts off the book by talking about lobsters and effectively how female lobsters only want very masculine dominant lobsters and the and the different ways in which men male lobsters challenge each other to create a hierarchy and the different levels of conflict right down to violence and even death exist but it can also just be gesturing prior to the risk of a fight so that actually no one comes away scathed but the the dominant lobster is decided and he basically tells you, he doesn't like pose the question, he tells you that big social and economic structures like socialism, capitalism and the patriarchy, he just immediately dismisses the patriarchy. He's just like, I can't remember exactly what it says, but he basically frames it as some made up thing, which is also again kind of right because it's, it's imagined, if you see what I mean, or it's based on lots of imagined structures around gender. If there's you, there's if you no, there's, it's not like there's no one guy running it. There's no like group. Exactly, yeah. Running it, it's just it's sort of a descriptor. Exactly, and because it's abstract, it's not. It is still very real, but it's something we can and should do away with because it's not real. So he's still like following that same line of thinking of critiques of patriarchy by being like, well, it's not really a thing. And that's true, but it still like controls and impacts so much of our society. So we still need to interrogate it. And then he says the same about socialism and capitalism. And what he wants the reader to believe is that everything is rooted in nature and natural hierarchies. Yeah. And... Uh, he basically talks about our hierarchies like we're... Because I don't want to say like humans are special beings. I would say we're superior intellectually, given the way we've evolved. Yeah. But I don't think we're like fucking godly, right? Yeah. We're still just like idiots that get each other killed and destroy our own habitat and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Really but clever he monkeys. basically... Yeah, exactly. He basically like kind of does away with the idea that we're clever monkeys and kind of frames it like we are just monkeys. All right. And that and that we're not able to conceive of all these social structures and all the rest of it and therefore should take hierarchy for granted because it exists in all other like natural circles and communities. Hmm. 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 Sorry, there's just a scooter running past. Someone getting the delivery. Yeah, it might come back in a minute, but we'll see. 
So it's a really interesting rhetorical device. And and whilst I'm at it, um, just because we're not just here to talk about Jordan Peterson all the time, there's a great YouTuber called ContraPoints. And I haven't actually seen this for ages, but it came to the top of my head earlier. Um, and it's this trans woman who was doing a PhD in philosophy and then was just like, academia's just a, a, a little incestuous circle. I'm going to do my intellectual stuff on YouTube. And ContraPoints went away and read, I think, 12 Rules for Life. And probably gave like some kind of similar verdict to me, but I think it was a lot more eloquent because they'd read the whole book and had just spoken about that in one episode. Mm-hmm. But it gives the same kind of like acknowledgement that Jordan Peterson is able to just like play on one like modern day language around identity politics and then also just sort of like cherry pick lots of traditional ideas from christianity and eastern philosophy and that's right yeah mysticism he's quite into that exactly yeah and um as as someone who like is a sinologist i think he talks a lot about yin and yang in the introduction from taoism Uh and again i just don't think it's very nuanced which i know like i'm in a privileged position because i can read like original texts of Chinese philosophy and all the rest of it. But I do think it's dangerous when a sort of like Western simplified idea of an Eastern concept is then like propagated by other like academics and thinkers who haven't really, who are either unable to or have not bothered to interrogate those ideas in the way that they should. Mm. Mm. And just be like, oh, you know, yin is feminine and yang is masculine and they are chaos and order and that is how it is. And it's just like, actually, no, like Taoism is a philosophy of doubt. And if you're saying it's something that's quite black and white, then you're missing the point already. Yeah. Yeah. Because one is in the other. It's it's black and white, not black or I think he, white. I think he does kind of acknowledge that, but oh, tits. Right. basically just just conflates it with natural hierarchies in, in some clever rhetorical device that I can't take you through step by step right now, but... That's fine. Just That's fine. It's, I, um... Yeah, I mean, with just a quick point, the thing with the hierarchy things is that I get that stuff. There is a lot of that stuff. In, I mean, it's he's kind of right in a sense. Well, so he's really good at, at um, yeah, cherry picking and then extrapolating outwards in an unjustified way, but in a really smooth way that we you, sure. you kind of don't notice suddenly the suddenly the wool's been pulled over your eyes. You're like, oh, hang on a minute. When did when did the, where was the where was the the weak link in that chain of got you, argument? Got you. Huh? Because it's somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And um, um, the thing with the hierarchy things, he's right that, it, you know, it's, it's, it's throughout nature and, and um, that sort of behaviour is, uh, you know, integral to, like, to evolution, right? 
mm. and to, to how we got to where we are now. But I think it shows like a massive, huge lack of imagination and optimism or like hope in what we can do, what we can achieve as an organized that's a really good Society. point to, and, to revert back to ideas of the animal kingdom and, and nature. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I can see why he's so appealing um, because he tells good stories and yeah, engaging ones. Um, but come on, man, we've got to do better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, so a lot of the time when it comes to... When I when I a lot of the time when I end up chatting to folk about about Jordan Peterson's book, um, I find myself sort of I find it sort of coming down to that point. Um, that my pals that that re- have read it and like it, I'm like, yeah, but do we not just need to be better? Come on, mm. it's too easy to just be like, I were all monkeys, the strongest wins, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's too easy, especially when you're in the in a privileged position. It's it's too easy to just say, um, "Sucks to be them." You Can't know, be one of them. Yeah, I don't want to hang around with the omegas; they'll drag me down. That sort of thing. Yeah, completely. Um, so going back to how that kind of ties in with ideas of chivalry, I think someone who is a you know, support a proponent of um, chivalry would also, to somewhat, to some extent, take for granted that that hierarchy of gender. Okay. Okay, um, I see. Yeah. That it's like, oh well, you know, it's natural because it's the dominant sex, and I think it's key to point out here that then. A hu- oh yeah, so a huge conflation that he makes is one between sex and gender because I'm sure one day, I mean, you've already got like a male seahorse carries the babies even though it, it's it got the sperm. Mm-hmm. So there's already that like subversion of ideas of roles based on biology, not just gender. But that to talk about us like we're still in the animal kingdom, where because they don't because necess- animals don't necessarily have society in the way that we do, where these imagined things do influence us. If you see what like ideas, basically. So I say that last bit like, again. So so in human society, yeah, because we're able to think abstractly, yeah. things like the patriarchy and capitalism are important because we're capable of comprehending them. Yes, they're not natural, so they don't affect monkeys. I mean, Mm. they they, they do affect animals because obviously like animals bear a huge brunt of capitalism. Yeah, And, you know, factory farming and all the rest of it. I know what you mean though. But yeah, but they don't know that. They're just either miserable or happy. That's... To conflate us with animals is then to conflate sex and gender because the animals don't have the abstract thinking, so they're not going, oh, man, woman, fluid, rigid, how do we discuss these? Mm-hmm. They're just thinking, like, someone's got a fanny, someone's got a willy, there's something inherent in me that makes me want to make babies. Mm-hmm. Done. Well, good. 
Well, but good. we we don't do that anymore, or rather, it's not all our existence is. Yes. So, you know, even if like all the sex stuff is natural, it's kind of like irrespective of gender not being so. Like you can establish what is natural and what is socialized, but like all you can do is is establish it and it's just like points of reference that you need for other discussions. If you see what I'm getting at. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. They're a good starting point, but they're just a starting point. Yeah, you can't really, like, explain away some, like, huge inequality by just being like, oh, it's fucking natural, isn't it? Because, because cause it's not. So then the question is, how do you deal with this thing that is not natural? It's, it is socialised, but we've still got to deal with it because we've distorted nature as we knew it mm-hmm. quite a lot. So that's our burden to bear, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And even if something isn't natural, it doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. And so you think that, yeah, people who invoke chivalry um, are just perfectly happy with the natural order of the male sex is stronger than the female sex and... That's that. That's that. Yeah. I'm going to be kind because that I'm going to be kind to these feeble women because that's the good thing to do. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and that's and that's that's all my contribution has to be to this cause is to just hold the door open. I don't need to um, I don't need to campaign for gender pay equality. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm holding doors open for women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm what? opening doors. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a campaign in itself. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Don't worry about that glass ceiling, darling. I'll smash it for you. Yeah. Don't you worry. <laughs> Aye. Um, yeah. And following on from that quite nicely, the other thing I read was an article from quite a few years back now. Um... Or maybe it was only last year, but by the historian Pankaj Mishra, who does a lot of like post-colonial or anti-colonial history. Yeah. Uh, he wrote his, I think his first like major commercial book was called From the Ruins of Empire, which was just a, a brief history of various major intellectuals in Asia during the 20th century. Cool. In like China and India and the Middle East as imperial empires began to collapse basically and how a lot of these intellectuals were involved with liberation movements. Cool. Yeah. Um, And I'm going to read it at some point, but his most recent book is, I think it's called The Age of Hate. Okay. A History of the Present. It's definitely called a history of the present as the the subtitle. Yeah. Um, but he basically like I think explores the emotion of of resentment and hatred and feelings of conflict in in this day and age, uh, which I have downloaded and I'd love to read. But anyway, he quite recently, and we can provide it the name of it in the 
bio on Instagram and on Spotify and all the rest of it, wrote an article for The Guardian about a crisis in masculinity mm-hmm. with a very global approach. And he basically made the argument that chivalry and the idea of a gentleman and also ultimately the gender binary as we know it in the West was like a Victorian export to all the colonies and and that it suppressed a lot of gender fluidity in other cultures such as India and the Middle East and Africa and so on. Um, which I'm sure is true. I would want to do more reading on it myself because I do also think there's the risk of overly romanticizing other cultures, gender structures in the past before colonialism. Yeah. To a point where it was some kind of utopia, which I don't think was probably the case, but I'm sure very specific pockets of gender fluidity exist that were almost definitely suppressed by colonial powers coming in and providing a gender binary because Pankaj Mishra says in the article that having that gender binary as a frame of reference also helps to reinforce colonialism because you can then view the imperial power as like the the masculine domineering force and then the imperial subject country as the feminine weaker force Uh that kind of needs guidance and needs to be controlled and in some ways that ties in with chivalry because it's like right we're going to feminize this group of people sorry scooter's going to come past again <laughs> yeah they said they they were right we need to feminize this group of people which then frames it as a group that needs propping up, needs doors opening for it, can't look after itself. And we're here as this father figure as the colonizing nation. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's right. Because then, yeah, and a lot of um, like the older generation who still view empire as a positive thing um, or, or colonialism as a po- positive thing, the idea was that um, was that the colonial power were, were helping. Yeah, they were like yeah, improving the, the civilizing force. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They were improving things. They were making like yeah, the 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 colonized the colonized needed help because they were weak and feeble. Mm. And and again, it's exactly that 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 the the direct act of invading terrorizing and then taking over a country has huge parallels with if a woman is not looking like she's asking for a door to be opened and a man views it as a need that she needs that thing doing for her on her behalf runs over and does that thing against her will in a way that he views as helping her despite her never asking for that help in the first place yeah. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Because it's less violent. I'm just saying it's a parallel. Right, I'm okay. Not, no, it's not as violent. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. like, if you're thinking about what chivalry is... Yeah. Then it's still ultimately that act of taking something upon yourself that nobody really asked for. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, of course, of course. 
yeah, opening okay. a door is not as bad as pillaging millions of people. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm getting at. I do know. I know, uh, I know what you're getting at. I know what you're getting and, at. I was just imagining like some. I don't know why I was imagining some boomer listening to this, but I was, and they'd be like, <laughs> I "Can't believe this! You see, opening the doors as bad as invading India. What's going on?" <laughs> I yeah. think both are great. <laughs> um, do you know what? Actually, the best uh, analogy for it in in the twenty first century is you know those memes that says like nobody colon and then it's like a blank space and then it's yes. like me and then you're just doing something totally uncalled for. Yeah, that's that chivalry and colonial invasion. Just like hey, no one asked for this. <laughs> yeah, but we're doing it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a fascinating. It's quite a long read, but I'd give it a go because it's it's written very clearly, and and then it brings global politics into it, uh-huh. um, both in the twenty first century, but also I had no idea about this, but Gandhi was assassinated by a Hindu nationalist. Okay. Very much like of the ilk that um, Modi, the current. Prime Minister of India represents. Right. Um, and he killed Gandhi because Gandhi was this sort of non-violent, peaceful, spiritual man. And he thought that he was basically effeminizing the this sort of like hyper-masculine idea of a Hindu master race. Whoa. And, and, he, and he killed him on the grounds that Modi was only ever going to weaken the nation. When Gandhi. it was already on it. Sorry. <laughs> and he yeah. killed him on the grounds that Gandhi was going to weaken the nation. You know, like it was already on its knees as this recovering former colony. Yeah. How's this How's this skinny, non-violent person in a white gown going to sort us out? And a lot of Hindu nationalists, I can't remember his name anymore. Um, it's It's in the article, but... Hindu nationalists very much idolise that man to some extent today. Wow. That's interesting. All right. Didn't know that. Uh, And then equally, Pankaj Mishra, more, you know, more familiarly with the Western reader, talks about um, Trump and and, and how much his masculinity was key to the sort of hatred he fuels. Yeah. But also Putin and Duterte in the Philippines. Yeah. Yeah just regularly makes rape jokes in public and so on. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And and I think it all plays into an idea of, and again, you can say, oh, it's a stretch, but I'm, I'm not saying they're as bad as each other. I'm just saying it's like when you're talking about the pyramids, like the, the, the tip ends with, with the worst stuff, that it all plays into that system of men or like, a perceived idea of men as a social group identifying a perceived group of women as just needing help, even if they're not asking for it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I when, I when I was thinking about this, when I was thinking about chivalry, I was, uh, and how like it ends up with, or it helps contribute to just the idea of just men just putting women on pedestals just in general across the board sort of thing. And just assuming yeah. just assuming women are weaker. And I was thinking, I'm not like I'm not a strong man. Um and I was thinking like 
probably like half the women in Glasgow could batter me. And then yeah. and then I was in this cafe and I was just looking around. Uh, and you were like, who could batter me? <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was looking around this cafe and I was like, nah, I could batter her, could batter her, could batter her. And I was like, wait, what the fuck am I doing? What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I took a moment and I was like, what is going on in my bloody head? <laughs> I battle that one, you could battle her. And I was like, I need to stop thinking about this one. Um, I mean, if you flipped that on its head and it was like, she couldn't batter me, she could batter me. Yeah. Like, it doesn't sound as problematic. Yeah, that's true. And and and, and that would be quite a healthy exercise because I think a lot of men probably scan a room and think about which men they could and couldn't batter. Yeah. Which I guess is one, a safety thing, and two, a bravado thing. Yeah. Depending on what you like and how you feel about your own safety. But if you're interrogating which, which women could batter you, then... Uh, you know, I, I hope no one gets battered. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's it, it. You know, like you're lending them the same kind of consideration that the, you're then lending to a bunch of blokes in a pub. Yeah. And yeah. In a very messed up way, that's some kind of equality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, I was just a bit tripped out by the whole thing. Anyway. Sure. Yeah. Um. Hmm. But yeah, I guess sorry to wrap up because we've been China and yeah. no, I know that you need to you need to finish soon. Um, I think that oh, <laughs> there was something I want to mention. I didn't know when to bring it up because it's kind of unrelated, uh, but it's also very much related. Do you remember last year during the BLM protests? Um, mm-hmm. There was one in Dallas. Do you right. mind that guy that, that had a sword? Remember sword guy? Oh, I remember someone with a crossbow. Oh, I don't remember crossbow guy, but there was a guy... A crossbow or a bow and arrow? Yeah, there was a guy oh, with okay. a sword in, in Dallas right. who like went down to protect... Like a like, white nationalist? I don't think so. It it was weird. Um, He went down to like protect his, his favourite bar or something. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and it's just wild it's this guy like skinny white guy like kind of nerdy swinging this sword around right, yeah um and he uh he ends up so so he was white but yeah he was white i don't know if he was a white nationalist yeah. um but he ends up getting he ends up getting jumped and absolutely battered and um the videos are are, are not pleasant so i wouldn't recommend right, watching sure. them um but afterwards he posted this this really long twitter thread um, which is kind of odd. It was, he sort of just looked, looked like a massive nerdy guy and it wasn't like an mm. angry, it was, wasn't was an angry tweet being like, I can't believe I got my arm snapped in three places, that sort of thing. Sure. It was like, it was like... Quite matter of fact. It was like, yeah, it was like, I'm a, I just like going to these bars. I like these local businesses. One down the other street got got smashed up. I don't know if they'll open up again, blah, blah, blah. I'm a, I, I like going to these bars. Da, da, da. Mm. He basically like didn't bring politics into Just it at the all. The most like beautifully apolitical response ever. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, yeah. what's going on in your head, man? Where like <laughs> you don't even this this is like a huge political this is a huge political point in history. It's almost like a turning point, and you're out there with a the sword, and then you just don't you just don't mention the politics of it in your. Um, <laughs> In your response, waving a sword at a crowd of largely black protesters as well. 
Yeah. It's just uh, it's just never going to look good, is it? Oh, it's wild. Um, but but you, I guess you're kind of tying that in like, with like the image of a knight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And like yeah. protecting the. I mean, in this case, the business was like the the like unprotected. Or in that, uh, yeah. In that case, sure. I, I mean, get, I see what you're saying. In that, in that, in that, in that evening, um, the the balance of power was like towards the protesters, right? And I guess this guy mm. <laughs> was like, "I'm going to protect the weak," which is in this evening, my favorite a bar. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe I mean that might have been that might have been something he was invoking, right? I mean, yeah. How can you not? How can you? How can you pick up a sword and not invoke the image, image of a knight? knight? Yeah, come on. And pick up a sword by yourself with nobody else to help you out. Yeah. Yeah, I pick up like an empty wallpaper roll or something. Do you mm. know what I mean? I just pick up a broom handle and invoke the image of a knight. Do you not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I was definitely some kind of like perceived noble martial person. Yeah. Lovely. Well, um, yeah, that's been been quite a... Not all over the place, but there was a lot to unpack there. But uh, we looked at the parallels between colonialism and chivalry. How the image of a gentleman has has evolved from the ruins of empire. As is the title of a book by Pankaj Mishra. We looked at Jordan Peterson and how he does a lot of conflating of social structures and natural structures. And he's not necessarily wrong, but it's also not that useful. In fact, it's quite damaging. But uh, it's always interesting to look at how people use rhetorical devices to tell stories and convince readers of what they believe. And then we spoke about a skinny guy with a sword outside a pub and how he invoked an an age-old archetype from... Back in the day in Camelot. Indeed. Well, I've had fun. Um, if you are listening to this episode without having listened to the episode before, this is part of a two-parter on chivalry, so feel free to go back and listen to the other one. I think both can be listened to quite separately. The first one, we consider more real-life situations and, and personal questions and conflicts that men might have around the idea of chivalry and just more overall kindness um so do give it a listen and spread the word and leave lovely reviews if you can all good for now alistair all good thanks for listening thank you very much what is masculinity